Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this July the 8th in the year of our Lord, 2020. And we've been taking a look at the various principles that CFW Walther is talking about. Last week, we did so on the basis of the 11th evening lecture, and he dealt with thesis number eight. And that dealt with the problem that a lot of pastors get the sequence of law and gospel in error. First they preach the gospel, then the law. Or first sanctification and then justification. Or first faith and then repentance. Or first good works and then grace. Uh, You can go back to last Wednesday and hear how we examined those various in inappropriate sequences. This week, we're looking at the 12th evening lecture that occurred on December the 12th, 1884. And there's always an introduction to each of the theses, and this one is number eight. But here's what C.F.W. Walther said in his lecture to the seminarians on December the 12th. 1884. The biggest problem with modern preaching, my dear friends, is this. These sermons lack point and purpose. Wow. What does that mean? Because I really believe that that's also true today. I was asked recently whether I listen to non-Lutheran preachers and It's not at all unusual while I'm driving around that I would like to have a church that's non-Lutheran and listen to the sermon, because this is what our people are hearing, and so a lot of that needs to be corrected. Why do many preachers have sermons that lack point and purpose? This next phrase by Walther is surprising. They imagine that they have fully discharged their office as long as they have preached the word of God. But isn't that the purpose of preaching? To preach the word of God? C.F.W. Walther is making a distinction between preaching the word of God and preaching sermons that have point and purpose. And he always uses a metaphor or an analogy. It's kind of like this, he says. A hunter imagines he has discharged his office simply by going forth into the forest with his loading gun and blasting aimlessly, or when a soldier thinks he has done his duty by taking up his position in the line of battle and merely firing his cannon into the blue. Now, see, both are using the implements that they have been given to do their tasks, but they are poor hunters and poor soldiers. This is also true about poor and useless preachers because they don't have a plan in mind 
and do not take aim when preaching. Now, their sermons may contain beautiful thoughts, but they don't have any impact. They may occasionally make the thunder of the law roll in their sermons, yet there is no lightning that strikes. I'll tell you, what is CFW Walther talking about? It just so happens I had a lengthy conversation with one of our listeners on the phone this past week, and that was his complaint about his personal pastor, that you can't really say he has any phrases in the sermon that are wrong, but there is no guidance for the people. You see... The fact of the matter is that many of the sermons of Christian preachers back in Germany before C.F.W. Walther and others came to the United States were only hot air. They were not giving a point. Uh, Let me share an example. Recently there was a sermon and it was talking about all the problems we have in the United States. You know, we have immorality, we have Black Lives Matter people, this sort of thing. And the preacher was saying, we need to be bold and use our voice to help people understand what is the truth of God's word. But guess what? Not once in the sermon did he give an example of what that means. And the very fact that you can listen to folks who are in support of Black Lives Matter, when's the last time you heard a preacher talk about how you would help people who believe that and help them to see how contrary that is to the Bible. You just don't hear that. It's really important that sermons get a point, which leads us to Thesis 8. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the Word of God if you preach the law to those who are already in terror on account of their sins or the gospel to those who are living securely in their sins. This is a huge point of thesis number eight. Namely, prior to preaching a sermon, prior to witnessing to someone, you need to understand, are they in need of hearing the law, or are they in need of hearing the gospel? And you just don't hear that in sermons. Uh, Let me give you an example. You have a friend who comes to you, and he has a daughter. And the daughter has just announced that because of her boyfriend, she has become pregnant out of wedlock. And she is seriously thinking of having an abortion 
because she believes this baby will ruin her life. How do you respond to that? When's the last time you heard a sermon that gave you insight as to what to say if you were confronted with that situation? I mean, you can say a lot of good things about the Bible. You can tell the person, well, you know, Jesus became a human being, and he fulfilled God's law, and he died on the cross, and he wants to forgive your sins. But all of that would be pointless to a young woman who is contemplating an abortion. What you need to do is use the scripture to show her that that would be contrary to the will of God and help her to receive the strength to refuse to do that. There are many options that we pastors have. For example, there are groups that if the woman does not want to keep the baby, they're more than willing to take the baby, put it in their orphanage, and have it adopted with true Christian parents. I mean, there's all kinds of options that are available. But when did you hear in a sermon what those options are? Even more important, and we pastors have been confronted with this, a woman comes to us, sits down in the office, and she says something that even her husband doesn't know, that eight years ago she had an abortion. She had been fooling around with another man while she was married, committed adultery, and became pregnant. And in order to hide her sin, she had an abortion. Now, do you give her law or gospel? It depends. If her view of having that abortion has caused her sleepless nights, and she recognizes that she has murdered another person, and she has no hope of salvation, what are you able to say to her? This is what sermons should be talking about. They should be giving you a proper understanding of how to discuss these issues with individuals who have been who have become so contrite over some sin. And in this day and age, it's not at all impossible that you would find people who are really worried about their salvation because of some sin that they had done in their youth, regardless of that sin. It's important when Luther talked about law and gospel and C.F.W. Walther picked up the six differences between law and gospel. The last one was regarding the person to whom either one or the other doctrine should be 
preached. The reason for that is unless you understand the attitude of the person in regard to sin, you might be giving them law and accusing them of falling short of the glory of God when they're already having sleepless nights over it and great fear of what will happen when they die. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. In fact, that's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. Walter quotes it. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedience, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That's Paul's letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. In other words, we use the law when we're dealing with people who are lawless and refuse to repent of what is against the will of God. The law is not given to persons made righteous by Christ, but only to the unrighteous and disobedient. In other words, if you have someone come in and confess a sin that they did years ago, and they're sincerely contrite over it, to preach the law is to commit a serious sin against that person. They ought to hear instead the gospel. And that's even found in the Old Testament. Walter quotes Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Notice that those who are to hear the gospel are those who are poor in spirit, who are brokenhearted, who are captive to Satan. Therefore, if you're dealing with a individual who does not confess an obvious sin, you should not give a single drop of evangelical consolation to those who are still living securely in their sins. But if you're dealing with a broken-hearted person, then we should not address the slightest threat or rebuke to that person. And there are a couple of examples Walter gives. In Luke 7, remember a woman who was a sinner, a prostitute. She kneels down and washes the feet of Jesus with her hot tears. 
dries, dries them with her hair. She is crushed when she comes to Jesus. There is no one to comfort her. But she turns to him, for she realizes that where he is, there is the throne of grace. What does the Lord do? Does he speak one word of rebuke because of the sins she has committed? No. Your sins are forgiven. It's also the way that the Lord treated Zacchaeus, the dishonest tax collector who had deluded people through the land. He climbs into a sycamore tree. He wants to see Jesus. But what does the Lord say to him? Catching sight of him in the tree, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Wow, this is a tax collector. Jews don't stay at the house of a tax collector. And Zacchaeus probably expected the Lord to go over a long list of sins with him, show him the evil things he has done. Jesus did none of that kind. Instead, he says, Salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. And what does Zacchaeus do? Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Notice the good work comes after his salvation. This is really, really important. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Next to him, there are two men who led an infamous life. They broke God's law. But the one comes to faith. We're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. Now, what does the Lord say to him? What? I'm supposed to remember you? You have you who have done so many wicked things? No, he does not confront the man with his sins. But simply says, truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Now, a part of this thesis 8 is a quote from Luther's writings. There was a, a splendid individual named Spalatin, S-P-A-L-A-T-I-N. He was born in 1482, and he really contributed a lot to the work of the Reformation. But then, along with some other people, Spalatin had advised a certain pastor to marry the stepmother of his deceased wife. And Walter says this was contrary to the word of God. Well, Spalatin finally began to understand that what he had done was a sin. But he refused to be comforted. In fact, Luther learned that he had fallen into a deep depression. 
nothing would comfort him. He had imagined that no consolation in Scripture could apply to a man such as he. Even though he knew the word of God so well that he had taken consolation from it. So, Luther wrote him a letter. It's a well-known letter where he writes, I beg you most urgently not to become self-righteous and listen to the thoughts and sensations of your own heart, but to listen to me, your brother, who is speaking to you in the name of Christ. Otherwise, your desperation will grow beyond endurance and will kill you. For St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, worldly grief produces death. Absolutely. He keeps writing to Spalatin. He indicates that the illegal marriage could be dissolved. That would take care of that. But it is bad enough that you made a mistake in this matter. Do not let that sin stick in your mind. Get rid of it. Quit your despair, which is a far greater sin. You see, he would not listen to God's word where his sins have been forgiven. He says, Dear Spalatin, you're not very experienced in battling sin and evil conscience, the law, and the terrors of death. Satan has removed from your vision and memory every consolation that you have ever read in the scriptures. Luther has two reasons where Spalatin has failed to understand his true misery and wretchedness under sin. The second reason is Satan has hid every consolation from Spalatin's sight. In fact, Luther tells Spalatin, I underwent something similar to you. There was a time that I looked at my damnable transgressions and iniquities, and I also was very afraid that God did not love me or save me. And he talks about a, another theologian, Staupitz, S-T-A-U-P-I-T-Z. He comforted me on this occasion when I was a patient at the hospital. And he helped Luther to understand his public sin in denying God and actually cursing God for giving him the direction that he had to be perfect in all his works. And what Staupitz told Luther, Satan is alive and well, and he has snatched these similar comforting reflections which come from soothing Bible passages from your memory. Turn your ears my way, brother, and hear me cheerfully sing. I am your brother. So this is how we deal with a person 
who really has trouble sleeping at night because of some sin that they have done in the past. When a preacher absolves a person who has confessed his sin to him, he takes that sin of the other person upon his own conscience. In fact, he quotes 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And what are the works of the devil? That he would cause doubt and depression as being the most serious sin. And then C.F.W. Walther has a number of Bible passages. Psalm 147. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, and many like that. So this is a great section in showing that we need to give the gospel to sinners. Tomorrow's Long Gospel, Rumination Thursday with Wes Reimnitz. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.